0: Hello, and welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm your host, Rob Pickles, here with Trevor Conner. Whether you're a racer or training for enjoyment, setting effective and well-thought-out season goals is one of the most important aspects to improving performance because it aligns your efforts and keeps you on course. Yet, how many of you quickly scribble something down without much thought? Today, top coaches Joe Friel and Neil Henderson are here to share an effective process for developing worthwhile goals. We'll talk about assessing your past season, determining your limiters, and creating both performance and process goals. Joining them, we'll talk with coach Adam St. Pierre, who's the head coach of Montana State's Nordic Ski Team. We'll also talk with coach and author Hunter Allen, professional triathlete Rach McBride, and John Tarkington, the head of coach education for USA Cycling. So take this time to figure out what you want to accomplish this year, and let's make you fast.
1: Hey,
2: it's Julie Young. Dee, Dee and I have had a blast recording a new podcast series that's all about the female endurance athlete called Fast Talk Fem. We've had an amazing experience sharing knowledge and gathering with experts like Dr. Dana Liss, Jen Saigo, Dr. Emily Krauss, and Catherine Cram to talk about the female physiology. We're looking forward to empowering female athletes and their coaches with the best evidence-based information available to enhance and improve their performance. We begin releasing episodes this January, so be sure to come back for this Pioneer launch.
3: Well, welcome. Really excited to have two very big names here to talk with us about goal setting. So, Joe, great to have you in town. Thank you, Trevor. And Neil, really appreciate you finding the time to, to come and join us.
0: Absolutely glad to be here. I do have to say, I never work after four o'clock in the afternoon. And the fact that that's what it took to get both of you guys here, that should show you the importance, the, the monumentous occasion that we have in front of us with both <laughs> Joe and Neil in the same room.
3: As a CEO of the company, I'm not past the. I never work past four o'clock in the afternoon.
4: Part. Hey, I'm always oh, the fir- I'm always the
3: first
0: said. person here. So you know,
2: yeah, this is true. <laughs> Flexible timing uh, when you work with people in different locations and places. Even if we can get together, sometimes it still takes a little, there little shoehorning in.
3: So what are we talking about today, Trevor? We're talking about goals, and I'm gonna do a quick. We did an episode, an internal episode on this. This was episode 140, where I talked a little bit about my goal-setting process, which I'll tell you quite honestly, I probably stole from the two of you. So you're gonna hear something similar. Ryan was part of that episode as well, but just want everybody to know we, we did do a brief episode on this. But now we're gonna talk with two people who have been doing this for a long time, how you set goals for your athletes. And I really just wanna start with, why are goals important? Why not just come into the season and I'm going to train really hard, go to
4: whatever races, and just see what happens? I used to do that when I first started. That, that was kind of the way I did it. And I discovered, I can't remember exactly when, but it wasn't too far into my coaching career that I thought I knew what the athlete's goal was. And we came to the end of the season, and he had achieved what I thought the goal was, only for, for me to discover that he was unhappy with the season because it really wasn't what he wanted. And I was like shocked, you know, he wound up on the podium at nationals and I thought this is like exactly what we're aiming for. But for him, that was not the big deal. There was one guy he wanted to beat and that guy beat him. And that was his goal for the entire season Mm -hmm. was, was to beat this one other competitor in his age group. So I learned very early in my career, you have to ask people what their goals are. You can't assume you know what their goals are. You have to ask. And once you've, get the information, then you can start asking more questions, which I'm sure we'll come back to later on, how you go about vetting the process of, of an athlete having a goal.
2: Yeah. I would say one thing that I've made as like kind of a clear thing pretty early on in coaching is that I never set goals for athletes, period. I will work with them and help them refine them, but it is never, ever my goal or something I want them to achieve. It is always something, what do you want to do? What? You know, what are you looking to achieve? What do you want to change? What are your what are your things out there? And and sometimes that does take a bit of work to pull out to, to really refine and truly define them. But that process in talking with an athlete and going through that, it's not always just a, you know, whatever, a one hour meeting that you can get through it all. Sometimes it's going to take several weeks of going through a little bit. And then kind of highlighting like, okay, what are these major themes? What are these major goals? And and making sure you get clear definition of them, I think is an important yeah. important thing.
0: Yeah, I think that we've all come across athletes that pose the question to us. Well, what do you think I should do? And it's a very difficult situation to be in sometimes because you then have to move almost into like a motivational interviewing and turn it back around and help them find the answer because As a coach, me more as a consultant, I don't know that I should be answering that question for someone. I should be helping them discover what it is for them.
3: And Joe, I'm sure you've had this experience, but even when you have the athlete come up with their own goals, sometimes they just come up with what's quick and easy and they get to the end of the season and go, oh, I, I picked the wrong
4: goals. It can be very hard. Yeah, I think that's part of the coach's responsibility is to make sure we've got things nailed down the right way. I think lots of people, I had one athlete one time, he was a good example of this. He believed if you aim for the stars, you'd at least make it to the moon. And that was the way he saw the world. That's the way he did everything. He was a businessman, very, very successful businessman. And that's the way he ran his business. He started out that way. He wanted to be the biggest producer of his product in the country, in the U.S., and he figured it wouldn't happen right away. But in the process of having this gigantic goal, they would become one of the top 10. And then they could still aim for this gigantic goal. And eventually wind up as the biggest producer in the U.S. And, he, and it worked. It isn't quite that simple. Maybe, obviously, that's probably not a good way to put that. That's, that's really not simple in the, in the business world to do it that way. He, was, he did a great job. But he had a lot of things going for him, too, that had to do with hiring the right people bringing in consultants who could help them work their way through all the details. And when he came to me, I asked him, you know, and this I'm brand new coaching the guy, I know nothing about him. And so I asked him over uh, on the telephone, we were talking on the telephone because he lived in a different part of the country. I asked him, what, what are you aiming at? What are you, what's really your goal here? This is before I knew all the details about how his business had come around. And he said, well, I'd like to win the national championship. I thought, well, that's, that's quite a goal. Well, let's, let's talk about that. How many national championships have you have you done and have you finished? He says, I've never done one. I said, well, you know, that's okay. So how long have you been in the sport? I've never been in the sport, never done a race. So I know right away, you know, this is, I began to figure out who this guy is. He's aiming for the stars and at least he will make it to the moon, moon you know? Yep. It might be, and I don't know what the moon represents. I know what the stars are now, but I don't know what the moon represents. But I all I can see here is a lot of disappointment and a lot of, uh, Head scratching on my part and his part, and then a lot of apologizing at the end of the season for not achieving the goal. And so I had to have a very long conversation with him about how we're we going to do this, trying to make the point that really was not a realistic goal. This is not something when you're brand new to the sport that you really start out aiming at for the first year. Maybe down the road, a little ways we can aim at that. But let's let's have, let's kind of tone down our goal a little bit. And so I, I would ask him questions, and we would talk about you know, what races would you like to do? You've never done the race before. If you got any races like that in your, where you live? Can we do some local races and find out how good you are and what we need to work on? Oh, sure. So we began to work our way through it and we soon discovered that he, I, at least I discovered, I'm not sure he did at the time that he was really not cut out to make it to the national championship. It just wasn't going to be his thing. Now people will say, you know, well, you really can't take that away from him. It's nice to have high goals, but that be extremely long term in his in his case to be able to even come close to making it to nationals, let alone be on the podium at nationals. So we had to give it a lot of thought, a lot of discussions, I wouldn't call it arguments, but we were we got fairly serious a couple of times in the discussion, which went on for a couple of weeks. This wasn't just like one discussion. I kept coming back to this thing with him and trying to figure out exactly what it is we're aimed at here. And um, so finally, we, like investing, we need to we need to aim for something a little bit lower, and that started us on the process then of training for where we wanted to go. It gave me something to aim at. It gave him something to aim at, which is realistic, and we began to see things, objectives. I call these things objectives, things that happen along the way on the route to the goal. We began to achieve objectives which were positive, and yeah. so we, we were moving in the right direction. But. Had I just taken this at at face value when he said I wanted to to be on the national podium, you know, win the national championship, that really wasn't going to work. That wasn't going to fly. That was, um, it it would have been a lot of disappointment, at least for me, and I would assume for him also, but, you know, who knows? His business became one of the, it became the best in the country. Maybe he could do it also with his racing, so.
0: Joe, it's interesting that you bring up this example of this individual who was a business person and then became an athlete. And the reason that's interesting to me is within the business world, there's a book uh, called Built to Last, which is very popular. And inside of Built to Last, there is the concept of the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal, which is exactly this, this giant pie in the sky. If I remember right, the definition is almost, it should be scary when you read this. When people in your company see the BHAG, it makes them say, oh, oh boy. I wonder, is there, when we're working with athletes, obviously it's not the same creating a business, creating physiology, creating a human being is two very different things. How much can we, when we're setting goals, exceed expectations? National championship for a never, ever, maybe too big. Somebody who was top 30 at nationals, can they expect a national championship? At what point are we asking too much? What is acceptable?
4: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think it comes down to time, essentially. You know, and, and what the person has been doing up until that point. As, as you've made a suggestion, the person was, the athlete may have been top 30 at nationals, for example. Could we then take that to assume that we can move up to a higher level, perhaps even to a national champion from this person who was in 30th place? And I would say, yeah, it's possible. It just kind of depends on what's been going on up to that point. You know, have they been training randomly? they just been, or have they been missing lots of training? Is there consistency not something that's, they're well-known for, because that's really the key to all these sorts of things, is not only doing lots of things that are the right things, but also being very consistent about those things. I've often told athletes that I would rather have them do the wrong things consistently than the right things inconsistently, (laughs) because consistency is the real key to success in sport. It's, It's really not all these little things you do, it's how consistently you do these things. That's what the key is all about. And so I would say if the person has been like 30th, they've been in the national championship, they finish, that's great. What brought them to that point in time? How did they get there? That's what I want to know. So that's where, the, as a coach, I would start digging into, let's find out more about your background. So I'm going to go back and look through their, their training. If they've been on training peaks so or they've got records of their training, I like to go through all that and get an idea of what how they got to that point. Then I can draw a conclusion about what is realistic for this athlete it's still a bit of a guessing game, obviously. This is this is by no means a sure thing. But knowing more about how the athlete got to 30th place gives me some indication of what they have to do to move up from that point going forward. So it's a very interesting dilemma to be in. I'd rather have that dilemma where the athlete was 30th and, and, and had very poor training, inconsistent training up until that point, and then say, yeah, we can achieve an awful lot here. Because I can look at the athlete and say, yeah, given what you've been doing and you got." to top 30 and you just made it to nationals that's a that's a great thing but even just getting there super given how you train i mean i say it that way to the athlete but that's what i'm thinking so once i know this then i can make decisions about what do i think we can achieve and i can start asking the right questions about how we can get to that point rob mentioned big
3: hairy goals well let's hear from another top coach hunter allen talking about how he uses big hairy goals with his athletes
5: Goals are, are super important with all athletes. Anytime you know you want to do something, you have to have goals. And the first thing is, you know, we have to set something that's that's really definable that we can measure, right? So I mean the smart goals are classic, right? You Want to do those things. I think that's that's key. But this the thing that I find do I do more than than that necessarily is I call them my big hairy goals. And it's kind of like the big hairy monster lived under your bed when you were a little kid. Those I like to have every quarter if possible, for all my athletes. And those are things that have to have, number one, it has to involve money. All right. So you're going to spend money. I'm going to go spend money to go do this event in, you know, California or Colorado or wherever. I'm going to fly there, et cetera. I got to spend money. Two, it's going to take time. All right. So it's going to be hard enough that it's like, wow, I have to invest a bunch of time in this so that I need to train for it. So I'm going to have to take some of my time away from other things. Three, it has to be something I want to do, right? Oh, cool. I've never been to this part of the country before. I want to go here and do this event. And then the last thing is it's got to be hard enough that if you don't train for it, it's going to suck, (laughs) <laughs> so that's the big, hairy goal. You got to have those, I think, every quarter, and those keep you motivated.
3: We all love the Disney story. The person who's brand new to something or, or nobody has heard of, and they show up and they suddenly win the, the big championship. Like, one of my favorite all-time favorite movies is Rocky. <laughs> this guy is just a, a little local <laughs> fighter in Philly and gets a, gets a title match. Those are movies. They do happen every once in a while in real life not very often (laughs) really not very often my experience with most successful athletes is it comes down to a lot of work steady progress over time so you can have that big hairy goal but if you think oh i'm going to have that disney movie or if that's your goal to have the disney movie and and go from somebody who's just a little local cat 3 racer to the tour or winning national championships chances are you're, you're not going to have that movie Yeah, and you're just better off with the steady progress.
0: Yeah. And Neil, I'm interested in your take on this, right? Because you, you have been a part of the Cinderella story. If we think back to Evie Stevens, right? Who went from wall street broker or banker, if I'm right, yeah. to world champion. And you've worked with Roman Kreuziger, right? When he had a little bit of a setback in his career, but you've also worked with bucketfuls of masters athletes. Yeah what do you see? Because you've literally been on both ends of the spectrum in terms of what is
2: audacious and what isn't for a goal. Yeah. I would say it kind of comes down to like the goal should make the athlete feel uncomfortable initially that it's, this is a lot, it's a challenge, but it shouldn't be unreasonable. And the reason often comes from the coach's perspective of the understanding of what change will be necessary for that to be a possibility. And so There is that little bit of uncomfortable, like that's okay. It is okay to be a little bit scary to put it out there, you know, at at a high level of like, that's a lot. Well, it, it
0: underscores how serious this is and the dedication and the devotion that's needed.
2: And that's part of it. It's then getting the commitment. Okay, if you want to achieve this, we need these steps to occur in the process to get there and so that's a lot of times then what are the necessary kind of benchmarks or or points along the way that are going to show you whether you're on on track for that evie was a great example like she had already been racing you know at, at the highest level when i started working with her she had had a couple kind of bright successes but nothing massive and Because she came into the sport very late, it was really bike handling skills and that comfort in a group that was absolutely the most difficult thing, especially racing in Europe in a peloton with 100, 120 riders. She did not have that skill set developed. It was not developed because when she raced in the U.S., she just had a massive engine and could just ride away from everyone. And so she was very good and skilled at time trials and other races. But it was either in a big race, she could be at the front of the race because she was strong enough. But expending a lot of energy unnecessarily early on or at the back dangling which if you ever do road racing you realize the back is you get whipped around a lot and the acceleration deceleration at the back is is very costly and so one of the things that we we talked about in setting goals for her 2012 season the season started you know the fall of 2011 was we need to improve your comfort in a group and so we had different methods and one of those was actually riding with the juniors that I coached on a velodrome. We had the little velodrome in the warehouse here in Boulder back then, the Boulder Indoor Cycling. It's 110 meters, yeah. I think. Or I think they may have <laughs> built it as bigger than that, but it was about 110 meters, and it was scary, yep. no matter what. Like, physics, it was only 40-degree banking. With that short, like, it was scary, and the juniors that I coached were pretty skilled, very capable athletes. Several of them went on to race professionally. But putting her in that position elevated that skill set over that period of time where we could make change, That off-season you know november december january february is where the opportunities for 2012 became possible Mm -hmm. in that kind of work and you know the biggest success then early that year in 2012 was her winning the flesh alone yep and it was because she could stay in the group she could conserve energy early on and when it came to the year to we on the on the final time she was there with the boss with mariana voss and she had a tactical sense she could realize how hard mariana was working at one point and she saved 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 and finished it Mm -hmm. you know in that last hundred meters but it's those things that you look at where are your opportunities what do you need to work on and then setting a pathway to addressing those and so many other examples but has to be a little bit uncomfortable but it also can't be unrealistic
3: so I think that's a good segue. What I think we really want to focus on now is hearing from both of you of how, what's your process for setting goals with your athletes. Is it as simple as just say, saying to the athlete, come back to me with some goals and I'll give you some feedback or are there steps or the things you ask them to do first that's going to help them to figure out what their goals should be?
2: Normally, so if it's an athlete that I've already worked with, we, go, we have an end of the year review of what things they did, what went well, what didn't go well and that actually really helps formulate then going forward what they are looking at and so it kind of naturally falls after that and it's usually a face-to-face meeting on occasion you know when somebody's across the pond or i'm across the pond and it's you know some sort of a virtual whether it's a phone call or you know connect that way and we talk through okay this year like what are the you know a lot of time schedule what are your major events then which of these are the highest priority for you? What do you really want to achieve? What are you looking at? And I also kind of want to address not just that outcome because a lot of times it's easy to say, I want X place. I want to, you know, win this race or be top five or top three. And you only have so much control over an end result. And so a lot of times I really always want to look at a process thing oriented to what we can do in training and something we can be tracking in that way as well, because on a race day, you know, if you got sick the week before and you can't even do the race, well, that sucks. So you crash out and you break your collarbone at world championships or at the, you know, or crash and get a concussion the third day of the, of a grand tour that you were focusing, we're going to have to, you know, have something other than just hang your hat on that one thing and being able to then go back through what some of the other things that you talked about and be able to refocus in some cases, which is a whole nother episode, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, yeah. in that initial, yeah, look back a little bit. If you're working with somebody new, you just have to have a longer period in that interview initially of understanding who they are, what their motivation is, where they're coming from, and make sure you get to that point. I've rarely ever had somebody that has like three goals that they already know, and they're pretty well vetted, and they're realistic, and, and we're good to go. Like yeah, it always yeah. takes some, some back and forth. Yeah.
0: I want to hear from Joe on this but Neil before we get there I do want to know with new athletes do you personally as a coach have a goal of establishing their goals immediately or within the first 3 months how quickly
2: are you trying to get direction with your brand new athletes Within the first month yeah. uh, we we need to know where we're going otherwise we're we're wasting usually valuable time because even that that training process in the beginning is is establishing a pattern how do we work together what are the expectations on both sides. You know, if somebody's uploading files, but never adding a comment after the first week, okay, uh, thanks for uploading the files. I need you to include a little bit more information though in your uploads, you know, what you did, how you felt. I know what I prescribed to you, but did you make any adjustments? What was the weather? How did you feel? Just give me some of the basic color to it. Cause the black and white sure is helpful, but it's much more useful when you give me a little bit more feedback. Yeah. Makes sense. We can talk about and discuss and Make adjustments
3: before we hear from Joe and his process. Let's talk with
6: Adam Saint Pierre and how he develops goals for his athletes. This is something you know I've I've changed pretty much every year as a coach, you know, and and I haven't found a a perfect way. Like all the ways that I've found success with have a couple things in common, and one of the key things is that you know they they have to be 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 verbalized and recorded so that we can remember them. One thing that's really hard for a lot of athletes is having you know, goals that aren't just results-related. So having having process-related goals. You know, it's easy to say, I want to win this race. You know, if that's the sort of the, the tip of the pyramid, then, you know, what what things can you make goals below it to support that? Whether it's, you know, I want to train this many hours. I want to get my threshold up to, to 350 watts. I want to drop two kilos, you know, whatever whatever the process-related goals might be. But I think as long as we have, you know, goals that you can control fully, like I'm going to get up at six every day and do yoga. Those kind of things are, are real important uh, as opposed to just having, you know, I want to be top 10 at NCAAs, which is a great goal, but there's dozens of other people that have that same goal. So what are, what are you going to do, you know, day in, day out to achieve it? Adam, how often do you check in with goals for your athletes? For us, you know, kind of what we are trying to do this year is we've got individual goals related to skiing, related to academics and related to to outside. We're trying to really focus on having kind of the the three pillars of of self as you know school sport and and other, at least for our NCAA athletes. And we'll kind of check on in on those, not necessarily formally, but most days, right? Like, you know, what are the goals for the session? How does that complete or how does that build into the the overall season goals? You know, pretty regularly, you know, we're we're talking about our our team goals, you know, which are something that we're trying to set cooperatively this year. Things like you know having a having a GPA above three, getting a podium position NCAA championships, doing that by you know, being on time for training, making sure equipment is well maintained, those sort of things. So like some goals we'll talk about almost daily, right? Like all right, being on time for training is how we're going to get more training volume in, how we're going to improve the quality of our training, and that is going to lead us to our ultimate team goal, which is you know to be on the podium at NCAA championships. So I don't know if it's necessary to have like a formal check in regularly as long as the, the goals are kept kind of in the forefront of your mind. And that's where, you know, writing them down and you know, talking about them frequently is, is really important.
3: Joe, what about
4: you? Where do you start with your athletes? I could really just
6: say ditto and,
4: <laughs> <laughs> and move on. We have a lot in common with the way we see the world working with athletes. And I've noticed that over the years. So This is not unusual. But let me give you an example of, of the hardest one. Working with an athlete, when they come to you and they really don't know what they want, but they've got a lot of talent, at least a lot of talent you can see, but they don't think they have it. That was one of the most difficult athletes I ever coached. It was a a young woman who came to me. This is like 20, gosh, 24 years ago. And uh, she was new to the sport of cycling. She worked in New York City and she rode her bike to work. And some people convinced her she ought to show up on a Saturday morning in, in Central Park and ride with a the group there. And she did. And she turned out to be this, one of the strongest people in the ride. And she doesn't even train. She just rides to work is all she does. That got interested in sports. So she decided to become a, a cyclist and try some racing as an amateur. And she won races as an amateur. And so the next thing you know, she's gone from age 21 to age 22. And all of a sudden, she's racing pro. And she's never been on really you had to bike at all except just to ride to work. And so she came to me and wanted me to coach her. She had a good coach before. I knew the guy, and he had done a great job with her. And I basically told her, I really can't do anything different from what the other coach did for you. But she was convinced she had to have me, so I, I took her on board. Then we started the conversation about what are we aiming at this year? What, what is your goal for this season? She had no goal. She didn't really know anything about the sport to speak of. She just wanted to be there in the sport and ride with the other riders, and hopefully something would happen good. So we started out down that path together, and I soon realized the problem was not so much that she couldn't set a goal. The problem really was that she had no confidence. She had no belief in herself as an athlete. She had just been lucky all along. So I I realized the issue wasn't really how this former coach coached her. The nuts and bolts, of designing training plans and workouts and all that kind of stuff, no different than what I would do. The problem wasn't that. The problem was her head. And I, I had to become a, a sports psychologist to help her get through this system. And this is back before sports psychology was really all that big a deal. There was a little bit of it going on, but there, there really was no sports psychologist I could talk to to find out how to deal with this, except for one. I knew I knew I had a close friend who did some sports psychology back in, in northern Colorado in Fort Collins. And so I chatted with him about this, and he gave me lots of good ideas. And so I started working on these things with her. I won't go into the details because there's lots of little things we were doing. But eventually, we got to the point I realized and she's becoming quite a good athlete. She's really powerful, especially in time trials. Cornering skills were terrible. She was not a good sprinter. But in the weight room, she could squat more than most guys. And she was just, on a time trial, it was hard to beat her. She had finished, I think, in her third third year, she finished second at nationals in time trial. And so I knew she had some potential there. So we started working on with that as kind of becoming our focus. And I won't go through all the details, but eventually she winds up winning the national championship time trial that season. This is less than a year. This is probably like six, seven months after I started coaching her. And it was only because I just helped her with her head, the things she could do from what this other guy had told me. And that began to help her. I could tell But she still didn't really quite believe in herself, I could tell. So she wins the national championship. I'm at home. She calls me, and she says, Joe, guess what? And I say, what? She says, I won. And so I said, that's great. That's super. Then she says, but Mari Holden, the woman who has been the, the national champion the previous, I think, two years at that point, took a wrong turn on the course, and she would have beaten me had she not taken the wrong turn. So I should have been second. And I'm thinking, we've spent... Better part of the year here, just trying to get her head together. And now she's won the national championship, but she doesn't believe in herself. And so it became this ongoing saga of dealing with her head as opposed to her physiology. Her physiology was great, but I had to get her head going in the right direction. I won't go through the whole story, but she winds up making the national team, going to Worlds. She has the highest placement of any woman in Worlds that year, U.S. woman. She finished fifth in the time trial. It's the story itself of her time trial. It's an amazing story, how she did this. But she finished fifth. And then at the end of the season, we had, as Neil mentioned a while ago, this debriefing. We talk about, you know, how'd the season go? And I'm like ecstatic. This has been a fantastic season. You win the Nationals, and you finish fifth at Worlds. What more could we ask for in this year? She said to me, you know, I've been thinking about going after the the hour record on the track. I, and I said to her, you know, this is curious because I had just been thinking about that myself a couple of days ago. and happened to look to see what the national record was on the track and what it would take to do that. She said, oh, no, I don't mean the national record. I mean the world's record. So she had gone from not believing in herself to even be able to finish a race to being able to think of it herself as being a world champion, a world record holder, which was a fantastic thing. And as it all turned out, she was picked up by the best team in, in the country for the following season. And they never gave her a chance to even think about doing that, let alone train for it. So we never got a chance to go at it. And so she went on racing very, very well after that. But road racing was really not quite her thing. It was really time trial was her thing. And that's what we aimed at really was doing really well there. So it took a year, better part of a year to get her her head screwed on straight so she could aim at her goals.
0: The big thing I'm hearing when I listen to both of you is individualization for the athlete is key. It's not necessarily about I want to be this spot on the podium, it's about understanding the athlete and setting their goals around their specific needs. You guys both gave some great examples on what that is for those individual athletes. What I'm wondering is what else when you're creating goals is important to ensure success beyond this individualization? So
2: establishing what those goals are and really kind of going through the the aspects of what parts of this are like an outcome and what parts are process oriented is really often a a component that sometimes you need to have an establishment of really these process aspects that will then lead to the opportunity for the performance, for the outcome. And we talk about that a lot of times in training, you know, that I talk with athletes that we're trying to build your capacity, your abilities, your confidence, and to be able to execute on that day but you don't have control over everyone else when it's, you know, most mass start type events. Even in a time trial, you can't control what someone else is going to do. You can't control whether the conditions for the early starters are better than for late starters. And if you're a better rider, you're going to start later or vice versa. There's all these kind of things that become like interactions in there. But on occasion, an athlete will just be fully switched on. And even though things may not be, set up for them to potentially, like you would think, be well suited for them to achieve that, they can still do it, which is, I've come to have this saying with athletes of don't place reasonable expectations on unreasonable individuals. And I've had that fortune of working with some unreasonable individuals like Taylor Finney. His first year at Junior World Championships, he was 17 years old, so 17, 18 are the, the juniors. And he didn't win nationals in the time trial that year. I think he was maybe it was maybe third in the individual time trial. He hadn't won races in time trials, you know, at that national level, let alone an international level and at Worlds, he won. I mean, he beat Michael Kwiatkowski, who had been like unbeatable as a junior. He had beaten everyone everywhere, every time and every which way. And afterwards, it, it wasn't a goal that Taylor had shared with us, his parents, who know no thing or two about cycling a little bit he hadn't shared that that's what he wanted to do but he's like i've been dreaming i've been dreaming about that Mm -hmm. it's what he wanted to do but he didn't share it and i always say it is better with your goals to share them otherwise it's a hope which there's no accountability if you don't reach what you don't you know what you were hoping for but you didn't share with someone so even though he may have had that success like i do encourage people to to share those goals because it is more useful. You can get more support. You can have accountability. And that's, again, part of this process. That's what establishing those goals with an athlete early on is about then how do we hold each other accountable towards getting towards that. We
3: just heard about one top athlete. Let's hear directly from another, Rach McBride, about how they manage their ambitious season goals.
7: I have to choose specific competitions that are going to be the most important and that are going to be the ones that I really... Like focus on to do well. And those are usually my goals are often for every year based on my race schedule. I will have not results goals because you have no idea who's going to show up where, what's going to happen, but it's more about goals of For example, when I'm racing Iron Distance, I have a specific, you know, marathon off the bike time that I would like to hit or a certain like average power on the bike that I want to hit. And so for me, I set those goals and then I see, okay, what do I need to do? What kind of training do I need to do? What are the races I need to pick that will help me like achieve those goals and those manageable steps?
0: Now that 2023 is here, many of us are thinking about our personal and professional goals. When it comes to goal setting, what works and what doesn't? Well, we have some guides that may help in our new craft of coaching module. Joe Friel shares stories of three athletes and important lessons they've learned about setting goals. Get this season off to the right start. Check out more at FastTalkLabs.com. Neil, if we can back up to the process and the outcome goals, when you're thinking about the season as a whole, it's the beginning of the year. You're planning for the next twelve months, maybe, maybe even longer. What does a process goal look like versus an outcome goal? Can we
3: take a step back and we define those. Yeah, we actually just did an episode with with Sonia Looney. We were talking about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and. Basically, this is what you are almost getting at with the process and outcome goals. So how would you define those?
2: For me, ultimately, the process side of things are, are what are the steps that you need to take that can build the potential for a performance. An outcome goal is ultimately some sort of a performance. And so it's those, those kind of intermediate steps. A lot of cases, like with, with Rowan leading into Tokyo, we did some things of doing a virtual ride of the course. We actually previewed the course, what ended up being, you know, whatever, two plus years before the event, because we had a little bit of a one-year pause there and everything got pushed out. But we had video and, and different technology that we used to be able to ride connected where he was in Europe, I'm in the U.S. and the team director, Brad was in Australia and we're connecting in an appropriate time zone that fit best for Rowan because he's the athlete performing. So whether it was midnight or 2 a.m. for Brad or I or four in the morning or six in the morning, we did that at a time where we could all together be going through that course, riding it, seeing, talking about it, talking about effort, thinking about the weather, where the sun might be, shade, hot all of those things. And we had multiple rounds of that leading into Tokyo. We had started it you know, early in 2020, and then we restarted again in 2021 and had multiple rounds of that, so that that was a process. We wanted to have a certain number of repetitions. Our women's team pursuit Squad from 2012 to 2016, there was a lot of new members. The, the race had gone from a 3K to a 4K, so a 4K team pursuit with four riders starting was a totally new thing, even for the riders who had done 3K and who had had good success. You know, had a silver medal at the 2012 Olympics. We wanted to get 100 rides it was part of our process in that four-year period of getting ready so that we'd be prepared and. 100 was kind of an arbitrary number, but it was how many training sessions? How many times can we do that? How many races are there? And so we built that as part of our longer term process to build the capacity, the confidence, the understanding of the task.
3: So just to make sure our listeners understand, outcome goals are exactly that. That's where you're looking for something that's more a result. That's your extrinsically motivated goal. So a good example, going back to what you're talking about with Taylor Finney, an outcome goal is something like I want to be 10th at Worlds or I want to be 5th at Worlds. The process goals are, as you were saying, it's how you get there. So, for example, a simple process goal there might be, well, I, I need to be stronger on the bike to be able to, to do the sort of time that I would need to get 5th at Worlds. Therefore, I need to get my FTP, my threshold power up to X. That would be a, a process goal.
0: And for anyone interested in more in-depth information on what Neil was talking about, describing this process prior to a race, we actually recorded an episode with you. It was episode 213, which was Prep for Race Day Success with Neil Henderson. So we got a whole hour to geek out over that. And there's really great info in there. Joe, are you a process
4: and outcome goal guy too? Or how do you look at it? This is amazing. I'm just sitting here thinking these are the same things I always think about. <laughs> yeah. When, when I was a boy, I wanted to be an engineer. I don't know why I can recall to this day, thinking back and thinking engineers are pretty cool, especially aeronautical engineering. I thought that was really great. So I kind of have evolved into an engineer in many, many ways. And one of those things that's boiled over is into my coaching. So I see the coaching process as from a coach's perspective as being kind of like an engineering process exactly what you guys were talking about. So, for example, if I've established a goal with an athlete, we've, we've got this rock-solid goal that is certainly a possibility that's going to push the athlete to his or her limits. The first thing I do is, is to ask myself, why do they need me? How come they can't do it by themselves? Why do I have to be the guy who tells them the things to do? Is there something here that they don't know that I know that I can help them with? And the answer is almost always yes. There's some way I can help them achieve their goal, even though it may be a very high goal. But nevertheless, so what I call these things that have to be achieved along the way. You guys are referring to them as extrinsic and intrinsic goals. So I call them limiters. They're just things that limit are limiting the athlete's performance. It could be lots of things. I mentioned a while ago the athlete who the, her limiter was her mind. She just was psychologically not prepared to, to race even though physically she had all the talents you could possibly need to achieve the things we were aiming at, psychologically she wasn't there. And I had to discover how to go about helping her achieve, come up with these things that changed her way of seeing the world. So that was the thing that my sports psychologist friend told me that I began to work with her on that helped her become the athlete she became, which was really quite good. But that's unusual. It's not unusual to have a, a psychological limiter They're usually more physiological for most of the athletes I come across. We just need to do things. We need to change things about their training. We need to achieve certain things as we go along these intrinsic and extrinsic goals we're aiming at, the limiters I refer to them as. And so I set what I call objectives along the way. By this point in time, I think we should be able to achieve this objective, which will correct one of the limiters or at least give us a a good headway in making a change, a significant change to it. And so I begin to lay out a pattern in my mind of how we're going to get there by the time we're ready to go to our A-priority race. So I'm thinking in terms of all these things that have to be done, things that don't have to be done doesn't mean that we're going to ignore those things. I talk about the athlete having limiters, which are weaknesses, basically, but they're, they're race-specific weaknesses. For example, if the athlete is very poor at climbing hills, but there's no hills on the course, it's not a limiter. Sounds like my kind of race.
1: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Sign me up.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's the sort of thing that would be a non-limiter. It's a weakness, but it's not a limiter. So the, all these limiters, that the things that we're really going to focus on are all weaknesses the athlete has. And my goal, my objective, my purpose as a coach is to figure out how to go about, if you will, correcting those or fixing those, those limiters. What do I have to do to get there? And so I go, I'm going through this long head scratching conversation with myself about how do we go about getting to the point where X, Y, and Z are no longer holding you back. And so I become very focused on those things, those race specific weaknesses. I get very focused on those, but at the same time, I've got to maintain their strengths. I can't let the strengths go. They've got to be maintained, but I don't need to provide nearly as much energy and time and thought into those things as I do these limiters. So I'm spending more time working on the limiters and I've set the objectives along the way. And as we're getting closer to a limiter, I become, you know, I, I get the athlete very focused on that themselves. And we start aiming at achieving this limit or whatever it may be. You mentioned the FTP a while ago. Maybe, that, maybe that's the limiter. One of the things we need to do is we need to raise your FTP, you know, from whatever it is right now by up, we need to take it up 20 or 30 points to get to the point you need to be at. And as we start approaching that point, I become extremely focused with the athlete on this limiter. When we achieve it, we celebrate. This is the moment for celebration, whatever it may be. Often doing this remotely, we're not together, so it's not like we're going to go out and have a beer together. It's just that like we're going to be able to celebrate in some way when we've achieved this thing. But along the way, we've known that this, this is one of the things we need to achieve. We've celebrated. Now we know there are other limiters. We've still got these other limiters in front of us that we've got to work on also – and as we achieve those, we can check them off. Once we've achieved it, and we still have to maintain it, but we can check it off as something we've now achieved. And as we get closer to the race, I'd like to have all those limiters checked off. That is extremely difficult to do because if you get down to the end, you're talking about things that are very challenging to do. Pulling all the pieces together at the very end is not exactly what you want to wind up with, but that is often the case. And so sometimes it comes down to the athlete just accepting where we are right now and what we have to do to get the best performance we possibly can and let fate take care of itself from that point on. We really have no, as Neil mentioned a while ago, we have no control over who shows up for a race and how, how fit they may be. So we really can't say, I want to finish first in the race. I want to be on the podium. There's a big challenge. If you say you want to finish, you want to win the race, and you don't even know who's going to be there, that's like a fairy tale. That's, that's not the sort of thing you need to be thinking about. We want to wind up with very things that are really realistic that we can measure along the way. And we can, if we achieve them, we know we're going to do extremely well in the race. And whatever extremely well means comes down to who's the athlete I'm coaching and what is our goal. So that's kind of the way I see the world, actually, is from that same engineer's perspective. So you're going to get a laugh out of this. But when I, I read your newest edition
3: of the Cyclist Training Bible a few years ago, I had this really depressing moment when I actually read your whole section about how you set goals because I thought I had this very unique and creative process that I had come up with. And the one minute summary of it is I start just like you guys just described to do the season assessment. Then I had the athletes do what I call a gap analysis, which is first identify what's your current level then identify what's the next level. So for example, they might go, I'm kind of middle of the field in the, the the local master's field. So next level is I want to be a podium finisher in the the 40-plus field. And then it's identify what are the gaps that separate you from that next level. And that's your limiters. You know, what do you need to overcome in order to be able to get to that next level? And then that very simply leads to the goals. So the outcome goals need to be things that show you've achieved that next level. If you say, I want to be a podium finisher in the, in the master's 40-plus, it's got to be one of your goals, one of your outcome goals. And the process goals are exactly what you are just talking about. You look at those gaps, or you look at those limiters, and you read the word them as a goal. So, for example, an athlete might say, going with what we've been talking about, my FTP isn't high enough. So the process goal would be, let's raise your FTP and put a number on it. So reason it was very depressing for me is because I was can give myself a good pat on the back for, hey, you got this great process. And I read your book and I was like, that's exactly the process I have. You probably wrote this 10 years before I ever even thought about mine. So I completely stole your process and I didn't even know it. Well, good for you.
0: <laughs> well, if two people arrive at the same conclusion, must oh, no, be a valid conclusion. I, I, am,
3: I am absolutely certain because I, I've, everything I've figured out, I've gotten from other people, little tips here <laughs> and there. So I'm absolutely certain if I, I tried to, my entire
0: process, I can trace back to you. <laughs> yeah, Trevor, as you were just speaking, I, I thought of this do goals always have to be steps forward? Is there ever a situation or a time where a goal isn't achieving the next level?
3: You say to the 51-year-old who's (laughs) nowhere close to what he used to be. Maintaining is
2: gaining in many... Yeah, that's, that's a famous nihilism in my book. Yeah, maintaining is gaining. Yeah, that happens as we get a little older, having worked with some, some older athletes, for sure. There's times where we look at, okay, well, we're not going to the next level with certain things, Yeah, physical, you know, capacity, whether it's a power production, power per time, yeah. something like that. That's not what we're changing. Now it might be a behavior. We're going to be doing strength training twice a week, year round, not going to do it, you know, like. Start off in a good way and then just let it trail off. We know that for your health and benefits, this is something that your future self is going to say, Thank you for doing, or Tisk, Tisk, we should have done this. And uh, just make sure that that is now an accountable goal. It's a process, it's something that's going to lead potentially to performance as a side benefit, but for yep. overall health wellness, I mean, it's just one of those things like this becomes a say non-negotiable.
4: The other side of that coin, this is the sort of thing I pick up sometimes just by being around athletes. Look, for example, I've heard this so many times when I'm in the gym, especially in the locker room, men's locker room afterwards, I'll hear somebody say, you know, I'm just getting too old to do this. And the guy's like 35 years old. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking,
0: even I'm past that at this
4: point. <laughs> You're not even close to being at the end of this thing. You can see, you've got so much room in front of you right now that there's absolutely no doubt. You can be a much better athlete than you are. Cause I know who you are. Many people have this thing in the back of their head that the next birthday means the end of my career or I'm going backwards from now on. And they're not even close to it. I've got a friend who is now in his eighties when he was 70, five years old. He won his age group at Ironman Kona. He did 13 hours, 28 minutes at age 75. Tell me that guy's too old. He's 75 years old. How many 30 year olds can do 13 hours and whatever I said, 25 minutes? Have we been able to kind of even up the score by giving an age comparison here? He would have been the winner of the race. I guarantee it. That's an achievement which is beyond most people's even, you know, at age 35, the things they can think and the self is even doing. And he does this all the time. You know, he's been doing this for more than a decade. Uh, he's just a tremendous athlete, and he's never, I've never heard him say, I'm over the hill. Now he's in his 80s. I've yet to hear him say, I'm getting old. He just refuses to accept that he can't do things that most people who are half his age don't believe they can do. So that's the other side of the coin is sometimes people give up on themselves because they see their next birthday is going to put them at age 40. And that's going to be the end of the road at age 40. It ain't even close. It ain't
0: even close. For me, Joe, it's more that that pint of ice cream is calling my name. And that's why I just give up on (laughs) on everything.
3: Well, Rob, I mean, this gets at what you were saying before, which is goals need to be individualized. And you shouldn't ever set your goals based on, well, I'm this age and people tell me I can only do this at this age. Don't let other people define them for you. Just think about yourself. You know, you have to factor in how much time do I have? How much time do I want to commit to this? What's some of my natural talent? How have I been performing? And then come up with goals that are, as you said, ambitious, but realistic
0: for you. And I think that the realism oftentimes, in my opinion, comes more from life situation than age. I think that as people age, they definitely can keep up some some really amazing performances. But I do think something that undermines people sometimes is a major life situation change. New job, new kid, new who knows, new COVID, and not adjusting goals in a realistic fashion. Sometimes people will charge headlong into trying to achieve everything they did before. And ultimately, I think that that causes burnout and a huge regression back that sometimes people disengage from the sport. They might even go that far, but they maybe at least disengage from the goals that they had. And I don't know that they needed to go that far if they had just adjusted
2: preemptively. Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing there's, I mean, you shouldn't have a goal that's so rigid that it's all or none and you can't ever, you know, make a modification based on a situation. I know some years ago, working with a very, very successful athlete who when i started working with her actually one of the goals we set out she said i want to race bikes and have fun she had competed in the olympics before this point in a different sport and she just she was over that sport she said i want to race bikes have fun she was in college university and was like oh that's great that that's very, very doable, and there were other things that she wanted to do, but you know, being healthy, having fun, and racing, competing in a way without any of the kind of pressure and expectation that she had had as an Olympian in a different sport was a huge thing. Well, a couple years later, she got back into that first sport that she had a very bad experience at her first Olympics at, and at the 2012 Olympics, her performance was not in line with what her capabilities were there was a crash that occurred in the race early and she did not perform relative to what her ability was she kept doing it and had more success in in the years after and in 2016 going into that season the goal was a top 10 at the olympic games Mm -hmm. in 2008 she had not finished dnf 2012 40 something in the field not a great day so going into 2016, early on, we had set you know, certain goals and a top 10 at the Olympic Games in Rio was, was that goal. She actually finished eighth and it was a failure in her mind because she had taken a, a step up in her performance. She had graduated from school, from university, was racing at a higher level, had won World Championship re- Series races or WTS races, I think it was called at the time. And so there was an increased now capability and that expectation, but she didn't share it as directly with me in that, like, I really want to be up here. And so when she finished, I was like, it wasn't the best day, but you still had a success. And she's like, really wasn't a success. Mm. And she actually won the world championship that year in 2016. And she won the most recent Olympics in Tokyo, gold medal. I don't work with her anymore. We worked through the 2017 season. Uh, She had won two world championships in a row then in 16 and 17, which she just repeated 2020 and 21. And, you know, Dame Flora Duffy is a pretty uh, tough, capable athlete who's made adjustments in her goals and in how she approaches sport over time. And it's kind of cool to know that you don't always have to be the same way and have that same I want to do the same races. I want to do the same events in the same way. She had some intervening years where she had success in Xterra racing and changed a focus and learn how to race and compete in, in a different way before coming back to that earliest mm-hmm. kind of thing where has then become a master.
3: That story is a great example of what's been the message of this episode, that goals have to account for the individual. Let's hear from coach John Tarkington and how he accounts for the individual when setting goals with his athletes.
1: I actually think goal setting is one of the paramount pieces of coaching. With the new athlete, I will rarely dive into that first thing. I will always usually try to get a lot, as much background information as I can, get to know the person, who they are, you know, their athletic history, their personal history, what I, who I am, what I'm doing, and then slowly start to push into the goal piece. Well, why are we talking and what do you want to do? And that way you've at least got some parameters already set up so that you can, if they've got lofty goals that may not be attainable, you can steer them just a little bit one direction or another. So you can take a goal that might be unattainable and make it a little more attainable. I think that's a key piece to making a really effective goal. It needs to be lofty, but it also needs to be possible. And I think the timing is definitely key because you can get lofty goals, but it may take 10 years to achieve them. And then, in that case, you just start working backwards, you know, sets of goals along the way to get there. And to be honest, one of the favorite times of year of the year with athletes is always kind of the end of end of a season transitioning into the new one. Number one, because training plans are pretty easy to create during that time, but really more importantly is getting to have kind of a season review and then season goal setting for the next year. Those are always really fun conversations. I enjoy them a lot because it really does give an athlete a chance to Step back and look at what they've done, analyze, and then help them, you know, set in setting those goals for the next year. And it's really great when you're actually in that position of encouraging them to do more, you know, where they, you're seeing that they really do have potential and you can push them to that potential. And I'm pretty convinced if you are following a process that, that always incorporates that pushing for a little more, something that's attainable, benchmarks along the way uh, that your athlete is going to continue to thrive. And the other thing, especially if they're not top-level elite athletes, tying them into the balance with their life as well. You know, that's always got to be a major, major factor. If you're really wanting to develop somebody as an athlete long-term, then balancing out their work, their family, those pieces with their goals is extremely important.
3: But that raises a, an important question that I really want to ask both of you. Is it really important for athletes to celebrate goals when they accomplish them? And I know this is an issue with elite athletes. I had My best years, I had this issue where I was never satisfied. Huh. You know, when I won a race, it was always, well, I don't care. What's the, the next race? What's the bigger race? And you see that with a lot of elite athletes where even when they accomplish the goal, they're not satisfied. So I do think never being quite satisfied is a good thing, but should you have those moments of saying, I just accomplished one of my goals, let's
4: celebrate that for a minute. You definitely need to do that. There's definitely need to uh, to celebrate achievements. Uh, I, as I mentioned a while ago, I celebrated achievements with my athletes when they achieved something along the way, the improved limiter, something we been, had been aiming at for weeks, if not months, and they achieve that we would celebrate that in some way and then move on we've celebrated now let's move on you know but we never like just pass it over and say you know it, it wasn't important let's go on to the next thing because that that becomes there's we're humans and humans like to celebrate when we achieve something that's a good time to say you know we achieved something let's congratulate ourselves about that pat ourselves in the back and say good things about each other, and, and have a good time here for a few minutes, and then we'll get serious again about whatever else is on the agenda. But, yeah, I think you have to celebrate along the way, and the big celebrations are at the end when you finally achieve the the overall goal that you've been aiming at, hopefully, for that season. That's a lot of fun, and I can still recall some of those with my athletes over the years where they achieved things that were gigantic goals, but we celebrated. We had just such a good time. And to these days, I can still remember some of the celebrations, some of the things we said to each other, the family and the things they said to each other and how the whole group just had a great time. So I think those things are extremely important. That's one of the things that encourages an athlete, motivates an athlete to keep on achieving is is seeing that others support them. Nobody says, well, that's not a big deal. Let's go on. And everybody says that. What a disastrous life that would be seems very negative to me. So I I like to see celebrations at the appropriate times. So can we flip this around and say an
3: important part of setting your goals as an athlete is you need to be able to look at these and go, if I accomplish this goal, that's something I'm going to be proud of. That's something I'm going to celebrate. Definitely. Particularly because very few of us are going to be standing on the top podium of the Tour de France with everybody... (laughs) congratulating us. Most of us, you accomplish whatever you're, you're going to accomplish. And the only person who's going to see it is you. Right.
0: You're patting your own back. Yeah. So
3: you need to be happy. You
4: and and hopefully your coach or your family and and your family and those around you and team members. There should be this group that comes together to celebrate the achievement of the goal. And there could be lots of these going on within a cycling team. For example, there could be lots of celebrations going on within the group, which is a lot of fun. And that this begins to happen. It brings people together I like to go back to Paleolithic times a lot. That's one of the things that brought Paleolithic people together was this idea that when we achieve something together, we get to eat. The celebration is because we brought back this meal for everybody. And so let's celebrate that. And we'll celebrate by eating. And we still do the same thing today. You know, we're basically the same as our Stone Age ancestors. We're still doing the same sorts of things. And we can't set these things aside and say they don't count anymore. Because they do count; they're just part of our DNA. It's what we're what we're good at is celebrating when we have success.
2: Yeah, that absolutely is a critical part of things, and and I learned that you know years ago, but Connie Carpenter very well drilled that in. Like you celebrate those successes. She was also very big on you know there's liquid gold in terms of writing down what what led in those cases. What were the you know highlighted learnings uh, that that helped that result occur, you know, having the athlete write it down and talk through with them, you know, what they learned in that because a success can be again a, a teaching, you know, you can learn a lot from a success. It's not always that you only learn from a, you know, a lack or a failure or whatever you want to call that, a, you know, a miss. You definitely can learn from success from that and and repeat certain things, learn what, you know, what's important in that way, but you have to celebrate it. And I can tell you I've been been fortunate to be able to at, at some pretty big celebrations. And sometimes they get postponed and you have to push them out because it's just situationally where people are, where you are. And but celebrating those, I can tell you there's some of those that are just awesome, great, fun times. And uh, you know, I do something now with athletes when they have a great result, you know, whatever that is, I tend to buy a, a bottle of wine that I put in my cellar and write down, you know, the athlete's name, what they did, and We get together at some point in the future. I'm planning for the future. I last year uh, was able to get together with Flora and her husband and, and several other friends. And we had bottles of wine brought over one of those special bottles of wine to be able to share from, you know, her, I think it was her 2017 worlds, but we celebrated her Olympic victory with that, uh, at that time as well.
4: You must have a big seller of that. <laughs> the sellers, the <laughs> it, it's not small.
0: So. I'm thinking, I was like, I've never had a bottle of wine with a uh, Neil. I might've had a bottle of beer with you, but
2: not a bottle of wine. <laughs> we'll have to work on it, Rob. we got to find some goals for you and, uh, you know, set those, you set your sights. I know truth, truth.
3: So as we're Getting towards the end of our time here, I'll just throw one last question at at both of you. What are some other practical ways you can suggest for setting goals?
2: Well, I know it may be, you know, something that people have heard before. There's an acronym that we often use, and it's SMART goals. S-M-A-R-T with S standing for specific, M as in measurable, A as in achievable, R for realistic and T for time sensitive. So smart goals, you can look at things. It, it may not, like, you may not hit 100% on every single aspect of that being perfect, but those are some of the guiding principles that I use a little bit in in assessing that goal and working through a goal with an athlete. Does it have most of those things accounted for? Maybe not 100% every time, but are most of those things in some way available to be, you know, judged against or, or you know assessed.
0: Yeah, Neil, when you went back and you were talking about the athlete that just wanted to ride their bike and have fun, my immediate thought was how do
2: we measure that? <laughs> exactly. Are they smiling when we're at training sessions together? You know, yeah. Do they laugh at my dad jokes? There you go.
3: <laughs> my favorite part of all this is Rob clearly had smart goals up in his computer with what each letter stood for. No. You
0: were just waiting for no, Neil I didn't get
2: one of them wrong. <laughs> I, d-
0: I didn't. What I laughed about is a Simpsons quote where Homer's like, I am so smart, S-M-R-T. <laughs> and I was hoping that Neil missed the A. <laughs> I was like, No, he said it. It's like Wahoo,
2: though. (laughs) Drop a vowel. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
4: You know, sometimes it's really good to think about the realism of what we're trying to achieve because sometimes we're not realistic. We've talked about that, and that's just part of the smart thing. Talk about for my family. My son, Dirk, very solid career as a a cyclist. Won the national championship in Colorado, beating uh, Bobby Julik, who was third in the podium, like, what, 98 or something like that. Went on to right out of high school, go to Europe and uh, race for a team in Europe and then went on to race pro in Europe, had a lot of podiums, then came back to the U.S. and raced ex- extremely well here. But uh, I think it was 2003, his wife and he had, the, had their first child, only child. So I had a long conversation with him that from this moment on, your life has gone through a gigantic change. You've been pretty much free to train as you wanted here now since you were... 13 years old, and now you're in your 30s, it's going to change. Having a a child in your life is a gigantic change in what goes on in in your training, what goes on in your work. It's really extremely difficult to to work through all the things that are going to be demanding your time. Your family comes first. Training does not come before your family. Your family comes first. You got to make sure that things are done the right way for them. And uh, so that's always uppermost in your mind. So whatever your goals may be from this point forward for the sport, realize that there are secondary goals relative to your family. This is now the most important thing in your life. And um, it's going to be that way for the rest of your life. It's never going to change. You know, my son at this point was 30-some years old, and then I'm, I'm still his father. I am still a member of the family who has a deep abiding faith in the future of the Friel family and that's my primary goal in life is that. So I don't want to get things out of balance. There's a balance in your goals, and you can't give up those things that are extremely important to you as a person, like family, to achieve your goal. So that's one thing I always keep in the back of my head, that there are limits on our goals. They're not open forever and ever and ever. The only thing in your life is your goal. It's got to be somewhat modified by what else is in your life that's important. I well think
3: that's uh, said great place to say i think it's time to finish up and do our one minutes and joe that might have been your uh that was
2: a big
0: yeah i think joe's one minute is priorities people make sure they're straight
2: alter exploration is an adventure cycling tour company created by me fast talk labs co-founder chris case alter exploration's journey are as much about finding joy as they are about changing people's perception of what's possible When you explore with Alter, you'll have a stunning, safe and supportive environment for physical and mental transformation. You'll have opportunities to hone humility through challenge and you'll have the freedom to test your limits while respecting your absolutes. If Alter had a catchy slogan, it would probably go something like this. The assurance of adventure, the guarantee of beauty, the satisfaction of exhaustion. Prepare to be altered. Learn more about my favorite adventure destinations and start dreaming at alterexploration.com.
3: So let's dive into, you guys know the routine. You each get one minute. Like I said, Joe, you get an exemption if you feel like you just drop the mic and it's time to leave the room. But who would like to go first? Neil?
5: Yeah.
2: So setting goals is a big part of being an athlete and being a person. Even like National Institute of Health actually has goal setting as, some of the, as one of the important things of creating change. So when we're setting a goal, we're actually... Explicitly talking about we're trying to change something that we're either not capable of doing right now or haven't done. And so you're going to need to enlist help. And so share your goals with others who can help you. That, you know, often is going to include coaches, but also family members, your coworkers, friends are also part of that support network. And then continue to work towards them that consistency and not being afraid to be making some adjustments over time, adjusting, adapting based on the actual reality and situation, but continue to work forward towards them. And you're going to have a ride that you should enjoy regardless of whether you hit all of your ultimate highest goals ever along the way. You should be enjoying that. Yeah,
0: I'll go a second because I'm going to echo a lot of what Neil said, and that is goals are important because they provide guardrails that keep you moving in a particular direction. And you do have to focus your energy if you do expect to make any progress. Otherwise, you potentially are going to play this internal tug of war with yourself. Some choices pull in one direction, other choices pull in the opposite direction, and you never get anywhere. But again, as Neil said, and I think Neil has been a huge mentor of mine over the years, so everybody here is influenced by everyone else. There is a tough balance there of when to stay the course and when to change. If you are so stubborn and you always stay the course, that might work sometimes or it might work for some people, but a lot of people are going to have some negative outcomes from that. Even just unhappiness or a loss in confidence because you didn't adjust. On the other side of it, though, constantly adjusting your goals doesn't help you get anywhere. With every little cold, with every little extra work assignment, you can't necessarily put your goals aside because you will never make progress. So goal setting itself is a difficult process that I think people need to respect, but it is something that's important that people engage with and that they continue to engage with throughout the year if they expect and want to keep making that progress.
3: Boy, I have to follow all this? There's a problem with going third. (laughs) No, you
0: can echo me and say, I've been such a great mentor to you. Well, Rob said, there you go. (laughs) So look,
3: I'll start with Rob and I right now are actually going through defining the 2023 goals for the business. And one of the comments I made about that is writing goals is really easy. Writing goals that's going to make the business successful is really hard. And that's what's important because I, I honestly think the biggest mistake I see athletes make is to take two minutes to come up with their goals, go, oh, these sound really cool. Let's Let's go with these goals. And it actually sets them up for an unhappy season. I think it's telling that you have two coaches of this caliber who basically have the exact same approach to developing goals. And I was at least smart enough to completely steal it from them. But there are a lot of different processes, but have a process. And at the end, your goals need to be something that's ambitious, but achievable. And I think the, the thing that was really important that we talked about here is it's something you can celebrate if you've accomplished it. And Joe, did you have
4: anything else you wanted to add? Or um, I'll just touch one last thing very briefly. One thing we haven't touched on here is the plan that goes along with the goal, which is a, a huge piece of all of this. That's, you know, the saying I've always used with people is... Uh, A goal without a plan is really just a wish. You've got to have something that ties this all together. I've got this goal. Now what do I do to get to that goal? And that is the hard part. Setting a goal, it can be difficult, but it's relatively easy compared to the plan. How do I achieve the goal? What do I have to do? You know, what's all the stuff that goes into my preparation to achieve the goal? That's the hard part. That's the gigantic piece. And that's usually where the coach comes in is to help with that aspect of it. But I've also known a lot of age group athletes who are pretty good at coming up with their own plan. I'm always amazed sometimes what people can achieve that took me decades to figure out and they're able to do it even though they're not in the career field of coaching just because they've given a lot of thought. So that that's the key. You've got to, You've got to have a plan for that goal. Great. Well, guys, always a pleasure having you here.
3: Thank
0: you so much. Thank you. And thank you. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com join to become a part of our education and coaching community. For Joe Friel, Neil Henderson, Adam St. Pierre, Hunter Allen, Rach McBride,
5: John Tarkington, and Trevor Connor, I'm Rob Pickles. Thanks for listening.